This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, with all the new Squirrel stuff coming out in Modern Horizons 2, he knows that Modern is about to get nutty. It's Matt Morgan. So everybody that uses the internet has to enable cookies when they log on to websites. But in the UK, do they have to enable biscuits instead? I haven't really (laughs) been too sure about that. That's a good question, Matt. And I have a question back for you. Then, Are, do you need a snack? Is that because I'm getting hungry with? I do like have. That. I do have a little bit of a sweet tooth tonight, so I could could use a snack. Highly recommend that we hit up Guillaume after we're done with this show. Anyway, up next, he's seen the new ability Trample Over Planeswalkers, and he's kind of curious if that means that Wizards will also make an ability called Soren Over California. That's Dana Roach. Um, here's how nice it was to get to actually play EDH in person again now that I'm vaccinated. I felt kind of nostalgic when I watched a guy try to play a game while holding a slice of pizza. Um, so <laughs> nature is healing. It's good to be back. <laughs> nature is healing. Wow. And you know what? That's um, th- My appetite is just increasing. Are we actually a food stream now? <laughs> all, that- the all food token show. Well, there is the new supercalifragilisticexpialidocious legendary creature that's coming out in Modern Horizons 2. It's a new Rakdos commander. You might have seen it. It's pretty, pretty wordy. I mean, Dana knows probably how to pronounce that. He's been able to say Asmara and Amartika Dyson a Koldakar since like 1994. So I'm sure that Dana can help us with instructions on how to play that one. All I heard was abracadabra. Excuse you. I think also we haven't even finished our introductions, so let's actually do that. Let's introduce the show. This is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDH RecCast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode? This week, we're just going to talk about cards that are very near and dear to our hearts. All those pet cards that we talk about pretty much every episode anyways. Well, this one is just devoted right to those cards. 
Yeah, pet cards are personal favorites. Some hidden gems that we've used in our own experiences with them and how much fun they are to play should be a whole bunch of fun. But before we get to that, we want to pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone podcast who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. Yeah, um, DDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. If you want to pick up that new Void Mirror from Modern Horizons 2 so you can shut down Eldrazi and turn off free counter spells, Card Kingdom will have it in stock on the day of release. Um, on the other hand, if you want to stock up on cards like Basic Planes to shut off <laughs> Void, Void Mirror, you can get those on TCG Player. They'll have you covered for all your Basic Planes needs as well. Just go to EDH Rec, click on the card in question, and choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. We have Patreon tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to join the Discord and talk about the preview seasons that are going on, there is one pretty much at all times. We have a channel strictly for talking about all these new cards coming out. Or if you just want to have access to all the challenges stats that we have uh, historically for the show, you will have access to a spreadsheet that features all of the challenges stats updated live as we do them. So head over to patreon.com slash edhretcast for all of your patron needs. And we even have a very special tier where we just thank someone just for supporting the show because we definitely appreciate the support. So this week we want to give a very special shout out to Leroy Spears. So Leroy, thank you so much. We definitely appreciate all of your support. Leroy, thank you so much. And also, real quick, another fun thing that you can find on our Patreon if you are subscribed there is that we do have some Patreon-exclusive content that comes out every month, including a most recent episode that we've done on cards that uh, decks that we took apart in the past and the logic that went behind it. So we've also got some extra exclusive content for patrons, too, and we appreciate all of you for your support, and Leroy, you as well. And, um, oh, Dana, tell us, who's coming up on our stream in this coming week as well? I'm streaming next week with Radical Mari um, at The Radical Mari. So uh, tune in on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, um, and watch us at twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast. All right. That was a lot of station identification, I know, but there's a whole bunch of cool content that's coming up from the EDHREC sphere, so it's really, really great. But now let's get to the content in this episode. We are talking about pet cards, cards that we really love to play in our own decks, but maybe does that definition need to be fleshed out a little bit more, perhaps? Like, Dana, is there a specific definition or a feeling maybe that comes to mind when you think of pet cards in your own decks or other people's experiences? What, what do you think about pet cards as a general concept? Um, I, I think it's it's maybe a little bit harder to define specifically. Um, I think it's easier to, to mention maybe what it isn't. Um, I think a pet card maybe isn't a card that works in a really, really specific deck. That's just a good card in your particular deck. Um, I, I think they tend to be cards that are maybe underplayed a little bit or cards that you play a lot yourself in, in a whole lot of different decks. Those are the two main things I look for. All right. And then, Matt, how about you? What constitutes pet cardness for, for your experiences? I mean, a, a pet card to me is a card that I can't help but put in every deck, even if it's not really on theme. Um, but it's <laughs> but it's in it's in the right colors. So you may as well put it in there. Um, Dana touched on it. Like, it's not just cards that are good in a very specific deck. Like everyone has like some of those cards out there that just happen to be very, very good in a specific deck or the way that you built a certain commander. Um, but these are cards that, to me at least, I can't help but put in every deck possible just because I love casting. Mm -hmm. These are the cards that give you the warm cozies is how I kind of feel about them. It's just like, yeah, these these are just cards that when I draw them, I cannot help but smile. And when I am trying to build a deck, I do try to force them in maybe more than I should. But even then, they just 
give, give me the warm, cuzzy feeling. It's just really great. And, and also, actually, one more thing that I feel like we should uh, clarify about what pet cards aren't is that um, pet cards are not like the companions, for example, even though those <laughs> are kind of pets. Like th- those don't count as pet cards. Or like Luca examples, who's got like the wolf falling. Like that doesn't count as a pet card either. So we're, we're going to stay away from those, even though, Matt, I, I, I'm sorry, we're not talking about that type of pet card in this deck. I was going to say, so like Mowu and Tulsimir and all these other like wolf dog creature types, not eligible to be a pet card anymore. So good to know. Good to know. <laughs> good to know. Okay. Well, let's get to it. Dana, we'll uh, start off with you. When you start thinking about pet cards in your own decks what comes to mind what's one of your favorite pet cards for us to start off the show i'm sure so so i'm gonna kind of cheat here and start off with two of them as kind of contrasting pet cards that are in the same deck so the first one i'm going to mention um from the same deck in my esperia um supreme judge sphinx tribal deck would be overwhelming intellect it is a counter spell for six mana four blue blue um counter target creature spell which is very very narrow for six mana but you draw cards equal to that spell's converted mana cost. It's a very good card. This is this is a pet card, but this is a pet card that I think is actually a good underplayed card that should show up in way more decks than it's in. And I try to run it. It's in three of my four blue decks currently right now, um, which oh. constitutes three of the 470 decks it's in total on EDH rack. <laughs> um, and when you compare that to like opportunity at, at the same exact cost, once you draw four, Instant speed, same everything. Um, I don't know if I've ever cast Overwhelming Intellect when it didn't draw me at least four and it hit someone's creature spell at the same time. And Opportunity is in like five times as many decks as, as Overwhelming Intellect. So I think it's a, it's a really good draw spell. I think the problem is people see it as a counter spell. It's a draw spell that counters someone's creature and draws you cards. It's a pet card of mine because I, I just think it's really, really good and doesn't see enough play. And... Um, it, it wins games. Like I, I actually played it in a game this week and hit someone's Kogla, um, drew six cards, put them back, you know, six mana, and basically they time walked their whole turn. And then I had a full grip and was able to go on and win the game very easily from that point on. It's just a fantastic card. Yeah, all the... All those points that you hit about that card, Dana, like it it not only counters a spell, but it draws you cards, it sets them back. There's a lot going on. Like there, there's some counter spells that don't get a lot of play because people think of them as just a straight counter spell. Uh, Gather Specimens and Spell Swindle are two that come to mind that are in the same ilk as this. Like if you look at them as just a counter spell, well, sure, paying that much mana isn't going to be that good. But the fact like with gather specimens, you're getting all their creatures, or with spell swindle, like you're getting all that mana. There's a lot of really, really cool spells in the, the same you know vein as overwhelming intellect. And I'm I'm glad that you're bringing this one up. Well, it's I distinctly recall a moment when Matt, you were playing your Vivictus as Matty the Dire deck, in mm-hmm. which you have like a bunch of really huge creatures that you're hoping to either sneak into play, uh, cheat into play in some way, or you're using Vivictus's own ability to sneak them into play. And you tried an Avatar of Slaughter, which is an eight mana creature, and that got overwhelming intellected. That it did. And that that was a lot of cards to draw. So that, that that also though, like as counter spells go, like that's a lot of mana to leave up, which I think is what kind of scares me a little bit about this card. But I think the way that Dana, you've constructed that particular deck probably lends so easily to leaving your mana up that it's easier to justify. Well, and creatures are just the most frequently cast 
card in Commander and everyone has one in their command zone. It's just one of those things that I, I it feels a narrow until you're playing it and then you then you draw it and look around and you're like, oh, I have six mana up and I know that person's casting their commander next turn and that person probably is too and that third person is playing a creature deck and there's a good chance they will too, so I'm going to get something. Like there's no chance I'm going to not see a creature spell. And it doesn't even have to be huge. If you hit an Eternal Witness or something for three mana and draw three cards. That's, and That's not bad. Yeah, that's a, I would be comfortable with that. So, and that's kind of the floor usually, something along those lines. The ceiling is, you know, I've hit Elish Norns with it before. I've hit um, the Earth Dragon before. Like, the, the ceiling is really, really high. So, it's a card I love because I think it's strong and doesn't see enough play, and I, I try to run it a lot. Well, given the art, Dana, I'm, I'm going to have to say that this is a big brain play. By sure. <laughs> Joey, <you're, laughs> Matt's really rubbing off on you tonight. Um, and, and just briefly, the contrast to that from the same deck is a card called Psychic Possession. It's an enchantment for four mana, uh, two and two blue. You skip your draw step, and you enchant an actual player with a card. Whenever that player oh. draws a card, you draw a card. So, I mean, worst case, you're going to draw with them instead of your draw step. And, I mean, you'll still get a card every turn. But if you choose carefully and pick the right person, you can draw a lot of cards off it. Um, is it the best thing I could run in that slot? Maybe not. But it's fun. Like, like not only is it sometimes really effective, it's always interesting. And you always get a reaction from someone who's never seen it before and realizes, if I cast this Faithless Looting in this Brainstorm, I'm just giving away cards but I can't not cast my draw spells either. It, it's just a card that always makes for someone to roll, to laugh or, or you know, do something interesting in the game. So, so that's kind of the other side of the pet card coin is one that I'm not running for power. I'm just running it in that one deck that one time because it's a fun card and I want to get it out once in a while. Yeah, Dana, this is one that you've enchanted me with when I'm playing my Feather the Redeemed deck because the whole deck is built around abusing those one-mana cantrips to draw a bunch of cards. And it feels bad how many cards you will draw off of that enchantment just when I'm trying to enact my regular game plan. Like, that is a sincerely amazing enchantment that has made me want to put it into some of my own decks. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the kind of thing, like, it's very easy to argue if you're playing blue, Rhystic Study is strong enough to go in any blue deck you're playing. I don't think I would make that argument for Psychic Possession, but it's but it's a fun card that I think you just need to run some fun, fun cards that might not be the peak of efficiency sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So we spent some time with Dana's pet cards, but Matt, how about you? What are you bringing to the dinner table? The, the, the food really, the stuff that we were talking about earlier made me a little bit hungry. So I'm going to, sorry for the food reference. Um, but, but Matt, what, what, what are you bringing to this pet card potluck? What's going on? <laughs> you said the food buns were done and that's where you went. So, um, but anyway, so Can't one card, it. sorry, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. One, one card that's just very, very near and dear to me for multiple reasons um, is Dismantling Wave, actually. So this is just a great utility spell. Uh, it's two and a white for sorcery. Um, for each opponent, you destroy an artifact or enchantment, and then you can also cycle it um, and you destroy all artifacts and enchantments. Um, so you might remember when this card was originally previewed, um, a certain podcast for a certain website that compiles deck lists from all over the internet um, happened to preview this card, and that was kind of one of when we first started getting preview cards. So just, I know I personally was just very, very excited to kind of feel that that validation, I guess, from, you know, Wizards of the Coast saying, you know, here's, here's preview cards, but also like this card does a lot of work. Uh, being able to essentially be a three for one at almost any given time of the game, or you just wipe the board with all the artifacts and enchantments. Um, it's just such a great card at pretty much any moment in the game. There's always going to be targets and, and 
I think maybe once in all the times that I have cast this card, uh, it's not been a three for one. Because even if you're just picking off like a signet for one person, you might be getting something very, very big and powerful for the other two people. So it's just a card that if I'm playing white, chances are I'm putting this into a deck. It's just such a, I feel like it's a Dana type of card where it's just, it's got a very, very high floor, but also like it can have a pretty high ceiling too. This is a really great one. It only shows up in 3,700 decks as of right now compared to like a regular disenchant, a two mana instant to destroy an artifact or enchantment shows up in 11,700. So yeah, like this is, this is one that doesn't seem to be getting as much love as just some of the other stuff that we're maybe a bit more familiar with, and maybe that's why we reach for those other options first. I mean, it's a crying shame that only 3,700 decks wanted to put that in there, and probably like a thousand of them are mine at some point. So um, I, I just love this card. Like I said, for, we got to preview this card, but also just like it, man, it's so good. It's hitting targets all over the place. I just, I love it. Like of all the cards like Return to Dust and Crush Contraband that have been put out there to help deal with artifacts and enchantments and, and getting a two for one, I'm okay trading off, you know, one mana, and then sorcery speed to to pick off three targets pretty much any given point in the game. And I think that also kind of speaks to a, a good point about your strategy is that you are one of the players, I think, who's very... Um, you'll have the interaction a lot of the time. I, I think that's a, a good lesson to kind of take away as well. Like it's, it speaks a lot to me, I, I guess that one of the first cards that you reach for is something that makes sure that it's going to keep your opponents in check so that you can do the thing that you're going to do. The big part to winning a game is making sure you don't lose. And this helps you not lose. Exactly. Uh, I'll move on to one of mine now. And, um, I know it's kind of predictable, but I'm going to talk about a sacrifice outlet that I don't think gets enough love because it's just really, really great. You know how the card Viscera Seer shows up in like 34,000 decks because people really love them having a, a sacrifice outlet. It's just, it's really good. Sacrifice outlets are so dang good. A card that just I absolutely adore is the card Spawning Pit, a two mana artifact that says sacrifice a creature to put a charge counter on it. And it also has other text, but I don't care necessarily what that other text is. But that other text is that you can pay one mana um, and remove two charge counters from it to make a two, two colorless spawn creature token, which is like actually not that bad. But this is just a sacrifice outlet that is always going to sit there. And that if I need to create extra creatures, cool. But like just be, having the ability to sacrifice stuff at any time for free is so good. And since this one isn't a creature, it does stick around really easy and it's hard for other players to get rid of unless they're like Matt and they're playing stuff like Dismantling Wave. <laughs> but I just, Sacrifice Outlets are awesome and it's so much fun to find ones that aren't getting nearly as much love as they should. This is a card that if I am playing a deck that is Aristocrats adjacent in any way, I'm reaching for this one. I've played it in Aristocrats deck. I even put it into my Rayhan deck because it's really easy to move counters around when I have a sacrifice outlet. I just absolutely adore this thing. The other artifact-based um, unlimited sack outlets you think of are things like Ajnod's Altar or Phyrexian Altar, um, Altar of Dementia sometimes, um, you know, Card Clan Ironworks too. Those are cards that are known to be fantastically broken combo pieces. And mm -hmm. I think part of the problem with Spawning Pit is it's just fantastic. And, and, <laughs> and by comparison to those other four that almost always get used for something crazy degenerate, this is just really, really good. And by, by virtue of its peer group, I think people kind of overlook it. But you're right. It's a great card. I run it in a couple decks as well. And it 
um, definitely probably should see more play. And I totally understand why it's a pet card of yours for sure. Oh, that's right. You use this in Vela, yeah. don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can sacrifice your artifacts, triggering Vela so that enemies lose life. And then this makes you more creatures that Vela makes unblockable Absolutely. and that you can sacrifice so that Vela yeah. will. So this is... It, oh man, that yeah, very yeah. Oh, that's see. I'm glad that it's not just my pet card. We have we have joint pet cardness over 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 the spawning pit. There we go. Awesome stuff. Okay, Dana, let's head back to another one of yours. Share with the class <laughs> what's going on. Another pet card that you've got going on. I'm trying to move away from the food metaphor. I was trying a different one, and it sure it didn't land. So I'm sorry, but, but let's just keep going with it. Um, well, one card I'm running in a couple of decks that I've really become a fan of in the last year or two um, is very. Stone Amulet. It's a uh, artifact that basically says when you cast a spell, um, creatures you control gain hexproof. Um, you have to probably be playing a deck that's going to oftentimes want to just cast instant speed spells on a whim. But if you do have that kind of deck, and I have two of them, I have a Talran deck and a, a Kedison Krom deck that are just stacked with you know probably 30 plus instant speed spells, many of which are draws or cantrips or what have you. Um, it basically turns 30 of my spells into counter spells, or at least sometimes counter spells when those spells are aimed at my own things. It's just a really, really good card that just sits there. It requires no intervention from you for the most part, um, other than someone goes to remove your thing and you brainstorm and stop it. <laughs> Oh, man, that's just rubbing it in at that point. If you're like, okay, I'm going to draw some extra cards, filter my hand a little bit, and also counter your spell for one mana. Oof, yeah. I mean, I use this one in Feather the Redeemed, certainly, and I think it's probably kind of famous for its applicability in Feather mm -hmm. to protect her. But like using it outside of that sphere, it, it's showing up in plural of your decks, and that's definitely a, a good qualifier. Yeah, um, I mean, just uh, take a look at your deck and, and, and see... Do I care about saving my commander? Which is usually yes. Am I running a bunch of instants? There's a lot of decks that are doing that. There you go. It, it just makes your whole deck better whenever it's in play. And that always feels good. It also feels good when it's a kind of an obscure card as well that you don't see that much. And this one was one that you didn't that, that didn't see a whole lot of play for a whole, a whole lot of years. So that also kind of makes a pet card feel good. Nice, nice stuff, Matt. We're gonna head back to you. What's up on your list? Well, I'm I'm not really known for having a, a big repertoire as far as graveyard and, and death and all those necromancy things that you do, Joey. But the ones that I do have and, and do enjoy, like I go deep on them. Um, so two cards that come to mind in in this kind of realm is uh, morbid curiosity and then demon of dark schemes both of them oh. are just absolutely fantastic cards that make even the selesnia player like me slide it into a black deck every now and then so morbid curiosity is just one black black for a sorcery that says as as additional uh, cost to cast a spell you sacrifice an artifact or creature and then you draw cards equal to the converted mana cost or mana value now um, <laughs> of whatever you sacrifice so i have sacrificed all sorts of different things to that card. I mean, just uh, Ugin's Nexus, for example, um, turned out pretty well for me. Or even just like oh. in my Alila deck, like you cast a Spine of Ishsaw, you blow something up, and then you sacrifice it to draw seven, and then, oh yeah, you, you get the spine back. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of value. Like, if you're playing, even if just big creatures that can come back, um, like a Vigor, you know, if you're playing that type of stuff, stuff that shuffles back in, man, there are so many cool interactions that you can get with Morbid Curiosity. And you know, it's kind of like one of those Dana cards again. You just draw a bunch of cards from it, too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a fantastic card in, in so many different situations. And then Demon of Dark Schemes, 
Mm. This card makes me just feel feelings. That, that um, card makes me feel feelings too. Oh, it's, but it's usually, so good. Usually I'm on the receiving end of the Demon of Dark Schemes. So because because I play feelings. it, if, if I'm playing black, I'm probably playing Demon of Dark Schemes. Um, this card's only in 4,000 decks. It's it's three black, black, black uh, for a flying demon that's a 5-5. Uh, five, five. Uh, and when Demon of Dark Schemes enters the battlefield, all other creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. And then whenever whenever another creature dies, you get an energy. And you can also pay two and a black and four energy to put a creature card from any graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It is, it just does so many different things. Like, it's just crazy. Like, it comes in and it's like kind of a mini board wipe, or you can use it to reanimate things. And uh, by the way, it's still a 5-5 that has flying. Like, you can still just beat down with it. Like, I just, I, I don't do a lot of graveyard things, but this is just right up my alley. There's so many uses for it. Like, ooh, you, I, I love utility cards, and this just fills that to the brim. Well, and, and the, the moments that jump to my mind, I think you have this in, again, your Vevictus deck, because that's a deck full of really big creatures, uh -huh. and you want to get rid of any chump blocker tokens out there, yep. and this does it really, really well, and can summon back your big creatures. Not only that, but I think you use this in Tesa Karlov as well, because you I get do. double death triggers from anything dying per Tesa, not just your own stuff, right? Right, yeah. So whenever anything dies that causes a permanent of mine to to trigger, uh, I get two of those. So yeah, if if yeah. Joey's creature dies, I get two energy from Demon of Dark Schemes with Tasa Karlov out, and that's yeah, that is exactly why because it's it's not hard at all to to get the energy to start reanimating things, and that's saved me many times. Like if I'm empty-handed, but I've got twelve energy, um, I can just sink some man into this and some energy. And then just reanimate a few things, and all of a sudden, like I'm back in the game. Like it's it's such a great card, even if you're behind. I'm like I, I am kind of mortified from my own personal experiences playing against this card because you use it to ruinous effect against me. But I'm also like really happy that you're embracing the dark side. I mean, we we all have influenced each other from time to time, <laughs> and this is just Joey showing up in Matt Morgan decks. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> let's move to. I, I guess I'll move to a. Um, a stripe of mine is sort of a, a couple um, in sequence here. I just have an absolute, just a, a pet card suite here, a favorite um, for the Commander Storm cards like Genesis Storm and Skull Storm. I think Fury Storm is the most popular one because it's probably the most efficiently costed. Um, the Storm cards will duplicate themselves whenever, uh, for each time that you have cast your Commander already this game. The reason that I like them so much is because I play a lot of partner decks. I've got stuff like Virdus and Gorum, or I mentioned my Rayhan deck earlier. So I tend to be casting Commanders twice as often as everyone else, which really amps up the power of these Storm cards. So in that aforementioned Virtus and Gorm deck, I've mentioned before that Skullstorm is a genuine finisher because I will get like seven copies of that spell on the stack if the game has gone long. Like it's really, really good. But the one that I'll specifically shout out here is Genesis Storm, which only shows up in like a thousand decks right now. And that one flips cards off the top of your deck until you find a permanent that isn't a land and puts it into a play for free for you. And if you've cast, like if you've got two commanders and you've been casting that just like even one or two, if you get four copies of this thing on the stack, which isn't all that hard, you get four free things. And I just... I feel like any time that I'm building around a deck that has a partner, I'm looking for one of the Storm cards immediately, no matter what the deck is up to. Yeah, I mean, I've got blown out by that Genesis Storm from you and the Skull Storm on more than one occasion. Um, and, and I am actually one of those people, Joey, who didn't realize how strong these were in a partner deck until I saw you actually cast it. At which point I was like, you get how many copies of that? It was, it was <laughs> Yeah, um, it just didn't click until I actually saw it in action and and i think 
of the you know ten different times I've seen one of these Commander Storm cards cast, nine of them have been from you. The the last time that I cast a Genesis Storm was in my Rayhan and Ishai deck, and I pulled a Thought Vessel. Which is, you know, I, I flipped into a free thought vessel, which isn't the best thing in the world. And then I flipped into a signet, which also wasn't the best thing in the world. But then I flipped into a doubling season and a colonian hydra, and I felt okay about that situation. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'll sleep all right, all right tonight, knowing that's what I got. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not about the colonian hydra, but the signets you made along the way. There we go. <laughs> There's the title, the title of the show right there. Right there. Oh. Yep. I need a moment. That was absolutely terrific. Okay, guys, we've gone through a few. <laughs> need a moment. Um, we've gone through a few pet cards so far, but um, let's pause real quick. And how about we talk about some other pet cards by challenging some stats? What do you say? Uh, there's just so much data on EDA Trek, but we don't always agree with it. You know, sometimes I think that cards see too much play or too little play. So we'd like to investigate those stats just a little bit more and see if they're really what should be going on. Let's let's challenge some of those statistics. Well, and don't forget the, the sponsor for the Challenge Stats segment, uh, Altersleeves.com. So you can head over to Altersleeves.com slash EDH RecCast. And you can get all sorts of just awesome sleeves. It's just a great way to support the show as well. If you want to get some alters done for your cards, but don't want to actually have the cards themselves marked up, Alter Sleeves is just a great alternative. And you can procure some very, very special EDH Reclamation Sages um, with yours truly <laughs> on the card. Or if you want to see Dana knocking over Reliquary Tower with all of his knowledge, you can certainly do that. And then just Joey looking dapper as always uh, to go over your Sir Conrad's. Uh, we have all sorts of just amazing art over there that you can pick up. Uh, so head, make sure you head over to altersleeves.com slash EDH RecCast. This week's listener submitted challenge comes to us from Tom Caruso, and it's about the card Stubborn Denial. Um, in particular, in Veyran Voice of Duality decks, Veyran already becoming one of the most popular Izzet commanders. Um, Veyran is a 2-2 for 3 mana, has Magecraft, so whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Veyran Voice of Duality gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. Um, so making Veyran a 3-3. A However, if casting or copying a spell causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, it does an additional time. So any spell you cast immediately makes Veyran a 4-4, meaning Stubborn Denial immediately hits the threshold for Ferocious to trigger, making it a hard counter. So Veyran decks have a chance to have basically a one-mana hard counter spell and in Stubborn Denial, and it's not even showing up in the uh, top cards for that particular commander. So if you are playing Veyran and you want to protect your commander, which I assume you do, you should run Stubborn Denial. And the same is basically true of any four-mana commander, four commander you want to protect. Stubborn Denial is a great card and should definitely see more play in those kind of decks. And Matt, I think this is a trick that you were also using when you had a Shu Yun deck, because he was three power, but with the prowess trigger, he would move up to four. So you were running Stubborn Denial in that deck too, a pretty similar thing right there. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah, prowess commanders, just you want to keep stubborn denial in mind when you're looking at these like even if you think well the commander itself doesn't have you know the, the ferocious trigger to, to satisfy um if you have prowess you probably are going to be able to get that pretty easily uh and stubborn denial just is an absolute house of a card so yeah if you're if you're playing the any sort of prowess commander uh definitely keep stubborn denial in mind nice awesome stuff i'll move to my challenge now and uh matt i'm taking a leaf out of your book here because i'm not talking about blue and red and black i'm actually talking about a green commander there you a go. bear in fact ruxa patient professor who is really kind to me even all of those 
those times that I've been late to his class. I appreciate his patience. Um, he's the really cool commander from uh, Commander 21 who gives a slight buff to all of your creatures that have no abilities, but more importantly, makes it so that whenever they attack and deal combat damage, it will definitely hit the opponent if you want it to, rather than even if they're blocked, dealing a bunch of damage to the creatures. Like, the damage is going to get through to your opponents on this commander, which makes it kind of tricky when you're considering, how do I pump up this army? Because a lot of the pump spells out there that you would use to buff up your army also grant abilities to them, such as Trample. And you kind of want to keep Rex's ability to just get 100% of the damage through by making sure they don't get any abilities at all. So it makes it a little bit tough trying to find the right Anthem's effects. And uh, one that I'm going to highly recommend here for Ruxa is the card Scale Up. It's a one mana green spell that says until end of turn target creature you control becomes a green worm with base power and toughness 6-4, but you can overload it for six mana so that will happen to all of your creatures. It won't change their text, it won't give them extra abilities, so Ruxa will just happily see that you've got an army of six power creatures now that he will then keep buffing up because they don't have any abilities and he can just power through a bunch of damage here without changing the text on them. This has only shown up a 9% of Ruxa decks so far, but I really think that you should give this one a look. I mean, scale up's just generally a good card and probably should see more play in a whole bunch of different decks, but especially that one for sure, Joey. It's just like a testament to the amazingness of green pump spells that like yeah. you you can still be a little bit clever. Don't go for the immediate ones that, you know, the obvious ones that give trample and stuff. And you've still got amazing options if you start digging through them a little bit more. So I really, really highly recommend this one. And Matt, let's round it out with yours. What are you challenging? This? So this week, I'm going to challenge a card that, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty decent, I would say, and in some decks, and I don't think it's getting enough love. So if you look at Blink decks, there's all about entering the battlefield triggers and, and being able to bounce your creatures, flicker them, all sorts of different things like that. And a card that I don't think is getting enough play in those decks is Cunning Evasion. So Cunning Evasion is an enchantment uh, that reads whenever a creature you control is blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But if you're playing any of these blink decks with a lot of creatures that have entered the battlefield triggers, you're going to want to be replaying them. So what Cunning Evasion I really think has a chance to, to, you know, go overboard with is when you're attacking, go figure, I am telling people to attack. So <laughs> Cunning Evasion either gives your opponents a choice of take the damage or let that creature go back to your hand because they block it, and then you get to replay that creature and then get that uh, they enter to the battlefield trigger again. Um, it's only being played in 2,500 decks total currently. Um, I just think Cunning Evasion, if you're playing the sort of commander that wants to be recasting things like Chulain, maybe, um, you're going to get a lot of triggers off of Cunning Evasion, getting things back into your hand to be recasted. Even if you're just getting, you know, Beast Whisperer or the Great Hench triggers, that alone, I think, is probably worth you know, considering cutting evasion just because of the predicament that it puts your opponents in. Matt, that seems very you always managing to put your opponents into a catch 22 of bad choices. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to when if it, it's not so bad to give your opponents a choice, if neither option is something that they want. <laughs> Uh, can testify to this. Uh, Matt, uh, during gameplay, loves to give me hard choices that it, it's like a choose your own adventure book. It turns out that at that point, either one of the options that I choose is going to lead to my end, which is absolutely great. All right, fellas, let's get back to our main topic of some pet cards. Let's go back to you, Dana. Tell us about some other cards that you really love in your deck. Um, that just you love to reach for, that you love to see what else is going on. What other treasures do you have in your deck list? So, so not every pet card needs to be really obscure. Um, Hall of Heliod's Generosity is in 24,000 decks. 
Um, however, I think it's one of those cards that people look at and think that they want to run it in some kind of an Enchantress deck or some version of that, since most of those decks always have white and it's a way to recur whatever strong enchantments you have. Um, similarly, Academy Ruins tends to show up. It's, it's the blue version of Hall of Healing Generosity, and it's, it's older. tends to show up mostly in artifact decks. Um, the difference, I think, um, is that for the most part, if you aren't playing an artifact deck, the artifacts you run tend to be mana rocks, and you're not that concerned about recurring them. So like if you're just playing a deck that happens to have blue, for the most part, you don't care about Academy Ruins because, okay, if someone Shatterstorms, maybe you want to get a Mana Rock back, but I'm not sure it's worth having a land that does that and costs you your draw um, on the off chance that occurs. With enchantments, it's a different deal. At least it is for my decks. When I look at my decks, I mentioned my Sphinx Tribal deck before, but like when I look at the artifacts in there, you know, I have no need to run Academy of Ruins again to bring back Mana Rocks. Looking at my enchantment suite, things like um, Ristic Study or Rest in Peace or Smothering Tithe, um, True Conviction just wins games in that deck. There's a half a dozen different enchantments that if someone blows them up, I would absolutely put that back on top of my library and trade a draw to get that back to recast it again. Um, similarly, I look at my Adriana Captain of the Guard token deck. Um, yeah, it's not built around enchantments. There's only nine of them in the whole deck, but there are things like Unloaded Procession or Divine Visitation that do crazy powerful things with tokens. Or cards like Smothering Tithe again and True Conviction, same as in my Sphiria deck, that can generate a crazy amount of mana or in the case of True Conviction, just win a game. Same with Shared Animosity. Hall is a card that I don't think is just restricted to being good in Enchantress decks. It's a card, at least in my decks, that I run in every deck that runs white because the enchantments in those decks are almost always worth bringing back. I'm liking this idea less and less the more things that you listed there. Like, I finally got rid of your Smothering Tide. Thank goodness. I was playing Matt's Dismantling Wave suggestion from earlier. And then you're like, nah, it's back. I still get more treasure. And I'm like, oh, no. Or you land a true conviction and I'm like, haha, I got rid of it. And you're just like, guess what? Next turn, it's coming back. Dana, I don't like that, actually. Please don't. I literally used it last night on a True Conviction when someone blew up my True Conviction, and I used Hall to put it back on top and then cracked a Mind Stone to draw it again and then replayed it. That's messed up. And, and, and killed the person with because of the double strike off True Conviction and, and put myself at, you know, 70 life. It's it's a good card even if you're only even if you only have one or two enchantments to recur because very often they are just backbreaking enchantments. Yeah, that that paradoxically that might be the type of card that the fewer enchantments that you have, almost the more important those enchantments become. Therefore, a little bit of extra free insurance can buy you a lot of value. Um there, even if it's not a whole lot of versatility, you know, it may not come up all the time. That can be really, really strong. So that makes me really, really scared. And Matt, I'm going to pass it to you because I'm really, really hoping that your pet card isn't nearly as fearsome in that instance. But I'm probably wrong because let's be real. It's you. Right, well, yeah, it, it is me. Um, but also, like, I, I, I have to say this card. Uh, all of my friends would besmirch me and say that I'm I'm a man of lies if I don't bring this card up. Um, no card has ever made me feel quite so many feelings as Rishkar's expertise. Um, this card just does everything that I want to do. Um, it just draws you a stack of cards. You get to play stuff for free and it's green. Um, it's four green green for a sorcery that says uh, draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. And then you can cast 
a card with converted mana cost five or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. Now it's, it was like a 50 cent card for forever. And you bet I just bought a bunch because I knew I was going to put it in literally every single green deck. Well, eventually people started listening to me as they should have for forever. <laughs> um, and like this card is like, it's, you know, it's creeping up. It's like a six, $7 card now. And man, it just, it's so good. And I put it in literally every green deck. Like I have it in my AC Tyrant of Gaia Straits deck. And like that, that deck doesn't need more card draw, but like, it just makes me like so happy. Like the first time that I cast and resolved Rishkar's expertise, like I was giddy for about 20 minutes. Like I couldn't stop giggling. I, and I still like just laugh to myself because like the card is so absurd. This one shows up in 25,000 decks. Does that count as a pet card? It is a powerful card. Yes. But like I have been on this train for so long and like I, it, it by the qualifier of we put it in every single deck that we can. Um, this is that card for me. I would say that this qualifies because Matt runs it not because it's strong, but because he just loves playing it. So I think because that's, that's I why love this cat- one yeah. count. Absolutely, like I th- this just like makes me feel so many happy feelings. Like the 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 same reason that I built my Vevictus as Madi deck. Like I just want to play big dumb creatures that like make me happy. Like that's what this card is, and I, that's I just put it in every green deck. I'm a little dubious, but I'm going to also talk about a green card, so maybe I can't uh, be up on a high horse about it. Um, a card that I am really, really enchanted by whenever I can try to stuff it into a deck is the card Moments Peace, which only shows up in like 1,230 decks right now. Moments Peace is a two-mana fog in green that also has flashback for three mana. I I never feel more secure ever than when I have this card in my hand. It is two fogs on one card and fogs in commander are unlike fogs in any format. It, this can be, that, that is an announcement of I am both safe now during what you thought was going to be a huge attack step. And also I will be safe the next time that anyone tries to pull anything funny. This is a huge security blanket for me. And when I'm playing green, this is almost automatically one of the cards that I'm reaching for. Yeah, I, I think I've seen it cast by you, Joey, more than I've seen it cast from anybody else for sure. Fun stuff. If you also happen to mill yourself, it's got flat. You can just play it right from the graveyard. So you don't even have to cast it the first time, but it's good if you do then like i just joey a graveyard card i know but this is a really really solid fog and it is not that expensive as a card either so just highly highly recommend it's a solid card like i i think i've seen it played more in popper than i have in commander just because fogs eh, they're not as powerful but like if you can find a good fog like this one like arachnogenesis like ink shield Mm. uh they definitely can make a huge impact if you if you play them at the right time So for my next pet card, or I guess cards in this case, we're going to take a little trip back to the first Theros block. And enchantment gods were everywhere, and they were indestructible. So I step up to the table and pull up my my green deck, and someone plays their god, and I look down at the uh, Krosin Grip or the Naturalize in my hand and realize I can't do anything at all about those gods. Um, So I dug back a little bit through past magic cards looking for green exile removal for enchantments and don't find anything. But what I do find is an old card from the uh, Lorwyn block called Deglamour. And then, of course, later on in that Theros block, they printed a virtual copy of it in Unravel the Aether. Um, cards that cost the same as Naturalize, but actually shuffle the artifact or enchantment into the library, which is good enough if you're dealing with an indestructible enchantment god. So I swapped those two cards into my couple of green decks in the place of uh, Cross and Grip and Naturalize. 
And then over the course of just playing those cards for a few years, realized it's not just dealing with things that are indestructible that makes them good. You know, it's it's way more difficult for someone to recur something when it's tucked in their library than it is when it's sitting in their, their graveyard destroyed, even if it's something that can be destroyed. It doesn't generate graveyard triggers like things off a worm coil engine or something. Um, and on that that off occasion when someone does a vamp tutor or worldly tutor to the top of their library or, or does some kind of manipulation, <laughs> you can force them to do a shuffle as well. Um, oh, that's savage. So, that's... I mean, these two cards are just my, my go-to, you said the word safety blanket, they're my go-to safety blanket removal, targeted removal spells for artifacts and enchantments in green. They just solve so many problems and have a ton of extra utility and um, as great as Kroos and Grip is, I've gotten way more use out of that shuffle effect than I ever did out of split second. All right. I, <laughs> that's, that one's nasty. Matt, let's shoot it back to you. What's another pet card that jumps to mind? Well, let's just talk about safety blankets for a second and just talk about mine that I like playing in, in my red decks. Um, Citadel of Pain is just... I it's we're going to take a take an adventure back into prophecy days. Um, so this is a, a an enchantment for two and a red. And it says at the beginning of each player's end step, Citadel of Pain deals X damage to that player where X is the number of untapped lands they control. So this is my safety blanket because I'm really making the opponents choose like, do I want to hold up mana for a counterspell or removal or anything like that? Or do I not want to take that damage? Um it gives it so much reach into games and, and we all know red decks like they can struggle to close out games sometimes if they don't just like storm out and win um this does a lot of damage depending on who you're playing against but also like i don't want you to counter my stuff so if you are <laughs> going to try to um you're going to take some damage to do that I, I love that matt's like all right let's talk about safety blankets these things that make me feel warm and fuzzy citadel of pain <laughs> like, like i said like I, I like giving my opponents a choice where neither is a good option well and another one that i think might qualify for you here as well is primal order am i getting that one right the the enchantment that also hurts everyone for the number of non-basics that they control that's true. I, I tell people to play more basics and then I punish them for not listening to me. So, yes, <laughs> that's, a, that's uh, perfect. But but also like Price of Glory is another just fantastic type oh, yeah. of card like this, where um, if somebody taps lands on somebody else's turn, they have to sacrifice that land and like land destruction can be a slippery slope. But I play it in my Omnath deck where I have all the mana. But then like if you have a Titanian play, you get all these death triggers. I'm going to recur all those lands anyways. Like mm -hmm. it can get out of hand and like it's a very high powered deck, too. So Price of Glory, Citadel of Pain, Primal Order, like all of these cards. And, and Dana actually can blame himself for telling me about Primal Order because I didn't know this card existed until he featured on the Challenge of Stats a while back. And, and it's done a ton of damage to me in games as well <laughs> the last year. Uh, really and really truly has. All right, that's awesome. I want to throw out one more of mine here, which is... Um, also kind of a, a fun finisher that I just can't help, but like I, I want to put this type of effect into a whole bunch of decks because I like having a big creature that I can manipulate in ways other than just combat to affect my opponents and, and seal the game. Um, let's talk about Essence Harvest for a little bit. Essence Harvest is a three mana sorcery that says target player loses X life and you gain X life where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. I have this in at least two decks right now um, because Graven, for example, will get very, very large whenever I've lost life. He will 
puff, just buff himself up. And then I also have a deck like Rayhan that I've mentioned before, where the creatures get two silly sizes there. But relying just upon combat is kind of thorny sometimes, might get chump blocked or something like that. And so it's nice that when my opponents think that they're perfectly safe behind their nice pillow forts, I can just be like, yeah, I've got this essence harvest thing right here that I'm just going to have my creature that is a 30 drain 30 life from you right now without me even needing to move to the combat step. Yeah, it's such a good card. Um, I, I currently have it in my crush fling deck and years and years ago when I had a big mana Drana deck, mm fantastic in there as well so th- this is a card that definitely probably should see more play but i it, it, it is very much a joey card I, I can see why you like it for sure it's it's like only 1400 decks right yeah. now but it's really good and matt i'm sorry that i'm using spells that mean i don't have to move to the combat step i hope you don't take that as a personal slight <laughs> i mean i i get it um i also very much enjoy resolving a chandra's ignition which is similar card yes. along these lines and, and i know dana's cast chandra's ignition mm-hmm. a plenty um so yeah i i get it i appreciate it and uh, i i won't fault you for wanting to dome somebody because it is still based off your creatures and that's that's what really counts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. guys do you think we have time for just like one more each dana let's do a lightning round what's another pet card that strikes um another pet card of mine that i that i run i think in every red deck would be and it's a new one it's light at the stage Hmm. Um, I am a big fan of red impulse draw. I do tend to do combat damage stuff, so I, I'm often swinging in, which means light up the stage winds up being one mana to, to impulse two cards. That's really, really efficient. And I love, I love efficient draw spells. So if we want to talk about like pet cards and as a category, anything that I can draw two cards for two mana, makes me happy and in this case it's one mana but um chart a course or the new expressive iteration or knight's whisper or sign in blood two mana draw two is one of my favorite things to do in magic that is pretty darn terrific um one that i wanted to shout out here too which maybe i won't spend it as an official uh pet card maybe it is but like dana you also introduced me to the card minions murmurs which is a four mana sorcery you draw x cards and lose x life where x is the number of creatures you control that has also escalated to being one of my favorite types of draw spells in black because it's actually pretty easy to control for that there's the card pact of the serpent that's a little bit similar to it but has a tribal bend and this is just really good i use this i have a token deck that uses this it feels really good if i'm playing any type of tribal deck that includes black because i will have a lot of creatures in play like that's another one of those draw spells that is just like sneaky good and yet only like 600 people are playing yeah it was phenomenal back when i actually had the edgar markov deck because you know Mm -hmm. the the way that deck worked tended to be drop a one drop on on turn one drop two one drops on turn two or something turn four would roll around and your hand would be empty and then you cast minions murmurs and draw you know 14 cards or something um and it doesn't matter how much life you lost at that point your board site is bigger than anybody else's and you have more gas than anybody else um that (laughs) card is is super super good in the decks where it works indeed and matt let's move to you now um so if we're lightning round i'm gonna cheat two into play um both of them are are, (laughs) you know i like turning things sideways so two cards that i think are just the most rewarding for turning creatures sideways uh throne of the god pharaoh and harvest season um throne of the god pharaoh has rubbed off on dana a little bit i saw it creeping up in a couple decks of his lately um but it's throwing the god pharaoh is just fantastic if you end up with a lot of tapped creatures just at the beginning of your end step every opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control um so if you attack it's just giving you even more reach and then harvest season say you you attack uh you want to follow up in your second main phase cast a, a mega rampant growth for for three mana which just you search your library for x 
basic lands, put them into play, tapped where X is the number of tapped creatures you control. Uh, it is super powerful. You know, it, it, any way that I can reward myself even more and just pat myself on the back for, you know what, Matt, that was a really good combat step. Let's let's keep this ball rolling. Um, <laughs> I'm on board for that. So yeah, both of those cards just they are they're so great and they're not played um, too terribly much either. I came really close to killing Matt on our stream last week at Twitch.tv/EDHRedcast using some of the God Pharaoh. Um, I was having to use the spell Mind Games with buyback to uh, <laughs> to make a Drake off Talrand and then tap Talrand and then buy it back to make a new Drake to cast the previous to tap the previous Drake to try to get enough creatures tapped at the end step to kill Matt before we could pass the turn to him and I I got you to one Matt I couldn't I didn't have enough mana to get the last Drake tap but it, it's so good like it man it, yeah. It, it creates some very high tension moments. I remember like just like sitting there waiting and like you were mathing it out. That was that was such a fun game. It's <laughs> awesome. Okay, now fellas, I I guess it wound up that I got the the last slot here that we're talking about. Um, and it's a devious one at that because I've mentioned it before, but I, I got to shout out the card Tombstone Stairwell again. It's only showing up in like a thousand decks right now, but this card is so wordy and it's so silly. It's a four mana enchantment that has cumulative upkeep, so you have to pay to keep it around. But at the beginning of every upkeep, every player makes a 2-2 zombie with haste for each creature in their own graveyard. And then those creatures are destroyed at the end step. And then on the next upkeep, that happens all over again. So if you have a big graveyard, you get a bunch of zombies and then they immediately die. And that happens every single turn. When this card is paired up with some of my absolute favorites, like, you know, cards like Blood Artist that I play in a bunch of my decks, or Sir Conrad, who loves to see all of the death happening. This card is absolutely nutty. It's a little bit expensive now, but like it's only in a thousand decks and the price might be part of that. But like this is the type of card that I reach for before I've even picked my commander sometimes. That's how much I love this thing. Uh, well, I mean, similarly to how Dana used my own cards against me to almost kill me. I remember I had a Perforos in play and you put this out there and that led to some <gasps> tense moments yes. for yes. sure. Yeah, it's the type of thing that Tasa Karlov can take advantage of because her zombies would have lifelink and vigilance, <laughs> like mm -hmm. the extra buffs that she gives. Like this thing is, to use a, a, a matism, this thing is bug nutty. And I just, I absolutely had to shout it out. But it did also make me think of, and this is one thing that I, I feel like you guys actually kind of didn't represent uh, truly about your pet cards because I, you know, looked through your deck lists and I kept on seeing one of the same cards popping up over and over and over again. There was like this whole category of cards that you guys clearly use as your pet cards that I just feel like you weren't honest about. Um, you guys use stuff like Soul Guide Lantern in nearly all of your decks, so clearly that qualifies as a pet card, and I'm, I'm trying not to be mad about it, but... I, I mean, if we were worried about hurt feelings on this podcast, we wouldn't have made it past episode, like, seven. <laughs> oh! I'm just saying, Dana, what do you have to say for yourself? Why is Soul Guide Lantern exiling graveyards in all of your decks? What's I, up with that? In my defense, I also <laughs> have Scavenger Grounds in all of my decks, so that makes it okay. No. And I, I do enjoy Relic of Progenitus every now and then, too. So <laughs> Matt Matt will Sometimes keep... Sometimes a Nihilil Spellbomb. That works well, too. Matt will keep a zero land hand with a Tormod's Crypt in it, and I'm not kidding. I that have done happened. that before. 
And if you could have reached across the table and slapped me, you probably would have. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of uh, really great cards out there. Just ones that give us those, again, those warm fuzzies. The ones that like, oh, man, they're just every time you build a deck, you can't help but look at those and try and find room for them. They're just a whole bunch out there. And listeners, we would also really love to know about some of your favorite cards. What are some pet cards that always manage to make it into your deck lists? What are some extra special gems hiding in your decks that you'd love to share with everyone? We'd really love to hear from you. But with that, what I think we're going to do is call this episode to a close. So, fellas, thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming this upcoming Wednesday. We actually have uh, the Radical Mari coming on to play some games with us. Uh, the games are always great. The guests are also quite great. And then our plays... Um, are, well, they they leave people wanting for sure, but it is a good time. So make sure you tune in one way or another. So twitch.tv slash EDH recast and Dana, you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for Commanders Herald and EDH Rec, and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Recast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you have a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. EDHREC is also always looking for new writers. If you have an innovative idea for an article series and want to join our team of writers, you can submit your article pitch at EDHREC.com slash apply, or you can email apply at EDHREC.com. And finally, don't forget, you can now go to altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast and find our custom alter sleeves so you can play your decks in style while also showing your support for the cast. And stay tuned for our Patreon exclusive altar sleeve coming soon. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.